Today, Jesus reminds us that God does indeed care about his reputation, and we should too. This is Michael Stevens. This is the Frequency Podcast. So yesterday we started and got halfway through Matthew 6, verse 9, and we set some context for what's known as the Lord's Prayer. And if you haven't listened to yesterday's, definitely go do that before jumping in here. Uh, so we're getting into the second part of this verse, and we, we've we've heard it, our Father, and then hallowed be your name is typically how it's translated. And I think I prayed this phrase and repeated this phrase uh, with many, really, for most of my life without really understanding what it meant or really even what Jesus meant. You know, prayers like this that we say and we've heard our whole life, the, the repetition tends to lose, cause us to to lose the value and, and the meaning, the validity, and really how powerful these prayers and these statements are. So it's good that we slow down and, and we look at these pieces as we go through and also understand the cultural context around this rabbinic culture that was developing around the time of Jesus. And so as we discussed yesterday, rabbis would take pieces from the Shemini Ezra and, or the Kaddish, which are you know these prayers and ancient hymns, and they would add their own principles or things that were important to them and then would formulate their own prayer, which is again, why the disciples said, you know, teach us how, you know, John teaches his disciples to pray. They're asking Jesus the same thing. And so remember that Pharisees also had disciples. So they, they taught their students how to pray. So it it was, the, the point is, is it was normal for not only rabbis to teach these things, but for them and the disciples to pray these things together. And I shared my prayer yesterday. I pray with my children every day. Uh, those aren't random items. Those are important principles and truths that I want to see fleshed out in my own life each day. And I want my children to do as well. And as they get older and more mature, we'll build on those things as we pray together. And FYI, just as a kind of a fun side note, it was normal for rabbis to refer to their Talmudim as children. And as we get further into uh, the book of Matthew, I will unpack actually how rabbis chose their disciples, what the typical ages were, uh, that entire culture, which is really fascinating. And it's it's going to shed a lot of interesting light on passages in the gospel where Jesus refers to his children. No, I'm not saying they're all little kids, but it's just interesting when you see uh, Jesus referred to children sometimes that he was probably referring to his actual Tamadim. Um, anyway, so the, the ancient prayer known as the Kaddish, which, which Jesus would have been well acquainted with, it starts out magnified and sanctified be his great name. And in the third blessing of the Shemana Ezra or the 18 that we talked about yesterday, it says, we will sanctify your name in the world, even as they sanctify it in the heavens, as it is written in the hand of your prophet. And they called one unto the other and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts and the whole earth is full of his glory. So it's easy to think that the king of the universe doesn't care about his reputation. I've even taught a lot that Jesus is not concerned with his reputation. And I think there there is certainly truth in that when you study the leadership of Jesus. But the reason I used to say that God didn't care about his reputation wasn't based upon a biblical standard, it was based upon that I thought it somehow made him insecure because I saw this as a weakness in my own life, that I was concerned about what people thought about me and how people felt about me. And oh, I was I was really overly concerned to the point that I would do anything to make sure that everybody was okay 
when I was younger. And then I, when I went through a little bit of life and and some tarnish and had some really terrible things said about me that were untrue, I learned how little I actually really cared about what certain people thought about me. And the most important thing to me was that the people I cared about, uh, you know, respect me and have uh, uh, see me with a, a good reputation. And that's that's really what God does here. He, he actually does care. We'll see this in scripture. He does care about his reputation, but it's not for his security. That's the difference. We, we care about our reputation because it makes us feel more secure. That's why I saw it as a weakness with God. However, it's not for his security that God cares about his reputation. It's for Israel's. It's for those that he cares about. And it's, it's for our sake. Um, you see this phrase, hallowed is also translated sanctified. And it's a Kesher, as we've talked about in earlier episodes, or an allusion to Ezekiel 38, 23, was along with a couple other places, where he says, Thus I will magnify myself and sanctify myself, and I will be known in the eyes of the nations, and they shall know that I am the Lord. So here's the thing. God, God wants to be known. He, he wants to have a reputation that he is a promise keeper that he keeps his word. And we see this later. He says, I'm not a man that I, that I can lie. Like we, God wants to have your reputation that he is a promise keeper. But in conjunction with that, uh, part of the reason God keeps his promises is to protect his reputation. It's the same thing today. Sometimes we fulfill things that we say we will do because we want to keep our reputation intact, that we keep our word, that we do what we say, those types of things. So let's move forward here. So the baseline understanding for the word translated hallowed or holy means to be set apart. I just want to back up real quick. This is kind of running through my mind. I want to clarify when I say that I'm not concerned with what people think about me. Let me rephrase that. I do want to have a good reputation amongst people, but I do not spend my time and my energy being concerned about what everyone says about me, particularly those that do not have impact or I allow to have influence in my own life. I trust the Lord to protect me uh, as it's prayed in Isaiah. One of the things I pray over my family daily is that every tongue that rises up against us shall be refuted and shall be put down. It's a life verse for me. So let me back up here and keep going. So the word here for hallowed or holy, it means to be set apart. In other words, different from anything else like it. So let's give a, a worldly example. The White House is hagios, which is the, the Greek word here or hagios. Again, I never claimed to be a, a scholar or a linguist, <laughs> um, but the, the White House is, is hagios because it is separate from all other buildings. A priest is hagios because he is set apart from all other men. And we see this same word with the angels around the throne calling out to the Lord that he is holy. In other words, he's unlike anything they've ever seen. And the reason they can keep saying this to him, even though they've been staring at him for thousands of years is because he's so glorious. He's so unsearchable. He's so mysterious that every time they look at him, it's like the first time. And they're constantly caught up in new revelations of God. And as a side note, I love something I read from Tozer. I don't really like Tozer's writings all that much, to be honest. There's some things he writes that I think are wonderful, but I'm not a huge Tozer fan. But he did say, I love this. What would the angels teach us if they were to stand in our pulpits? They would tell us about the mysteries and the wonders and the revelations and the beauty of God. I just, I love that. I don't know what the exact quote is, but that's what I took away from it. I just, I love that. So the piece that I really want to focus on today briefly is the understanding in Hebrew of a name. So sanctified, so holy, so set apart. 
a reputation unlike anyone else be attached to your name. Now in Hebrew, a name is more than the sum of its letters. Someone, someone's name deals with their character or their personality. And that kind of translates to today. We've said this to people before. Oh, he has a great name. We're not talking about their actual name unless they have a really cool name, right? I mean, there's some people that just have cool names, but we're talking about their character or, or how they're known. And the Psalms repeatedly remind us to trust in the name of God, which is certainly more than trusting in letters. It's trusting in what God is known for. It's trusting in his name. It's trusting in the Hashem. Okay, so you see the Jews, this is kind of fun. The Jews, they, they won't say the name of God. The name of God in Hebrew is made up from four vowels, Yohevahe, uh, and it's only said one time by one person once a year. And that's the high priest on Yom Kippur. That's it. It's the only time it's said. In fact, if you go to a lot of Jewish websites, you'll see that they, they, they'll write G-D. They won't even spell out God. So when you read the Torah, what you'll see in certain translations in the Bible is the, that word gets translated, uh, they, they change it to Adonai. It gets put in place of the name of God because it's not to be pronounced because the name of God is so holy. Uh, just a little side note here from tradition. These, these consonants are so easy uh, to and require almost no movement of the tongue that, um, that they're, they're, they're incredibly easy to say. In fact, most people I think are aware that Moses said he had trouble speaking, which is why God gave Aaron to speak for him most of the time. And and the rabbis taught that Moses had a fat tongue. And so in his kindness, when Moses asked what his name was, he gave him a name that he could say without moving his tongue. He gave him a name that he could say with his breath. And I just, I love that. So the name, the Hashem, in order to be relatable to us, for us to be able to connect with God, for us to be able to see the image that we're made in and wrap up our tiny little brains up and around the one that we actually worship and who he is, the name God himself describes himself with many names. In fact, some have counted over 900 names of God in the text. I think there's a little bit of repetition there. I've looked at some of those lists, but regardless, there's hundreds and hundreds of names of God in the text. And so you know, you might say, well, like why, why so many names? That seems excessive. Simply put, It's because he is all things to all people in whatever situation they need him to be in. And we're made in his image. I mean, God is the architect. He's the father. He's the husband. He's the builder. Like there's, there's so many names of God. He's the servant. Every, every name of God ends up touching every arena of society and bookends, bookends the the human nature so that no matter which way we turn, we have a place that we can actually connect to and somehow relate to the king of the universe. It's incredibly humble of him. So Jesus starts out the Lord's prayer saying this, holy, set apart, sanctified is the name. So maybe you have a bad history with your father. Here's what Jesus is doing here. Maybe you have a bad history with your father. God's name has sanctified that. Maybe you struggle with depression and anxiety. He is your strength, your comforter, your very present help in times of struggle. He sanctified that. Maybe you struggle with insecurity. He's your refuge, your high tower, your shield. He sanctified that. So next time you enter into prayer, magnify, sanctify, glorify the name of God first that stands in opposition to your greatest area of weakness. See, whatever aspect of God you behold, you will become. Uh, It's like one of the worst things ever when people say they, they pray for patience, they end up so frustrated and angry. It's because those verses aren't about you. Those verses are about someone living under the finished 
work of the cross fully complete with, with the work that God designed in them and started in them fully complete. So whatever aspect of God we want to become, like if we want to become more patient, if we want to become uh, more loving, become a student of God's patience with humanity throughout the text, be a, be a student of God's love throughout the text. If we want to grow in wisdom, become a student of God's wisdom throughout the text. And as we study those areas, we'll actually transform into those areas because we can't make ourselves like him, but we can behold him. And like Moses beheld the Lord with unveiled face and his glory shone when he came down the mountain. When we behold the Lord, we transform from glory to glory in whatever aspect of God we are beholding as well. There's a lot more to say about that, but I'm, I'm going to wrap up here. So lastly, what we see Jesus do here is he starts out the prayer with the focus on God's strength and not our weakness. In fact, asking forgiveness isn't even second on the list in the Lord's prayer because it's the kindness of God to base our relationship with him around his goodness and his greatness rather than our weakness. Lastly, when we magnify God's name and we look through the lens of who he is, it's only then that we can see with clarity who we are and how small the struggles are in our own lives in light of his countenance. For those that get detached from focusing on the I am, they will start to ask the question, who am I? Thanks again for listening. This is Michael Stevens. This is the Frequency Podcast. Thank you.